Today on Podcast by the Bay, we return to our local coverage with our Mayor on the Peninsula series featuring San Mateo Mayor Diane Pappin. It is not about, let me push my agenda. This is a city of 100,000 people. There are very disparate points of view. They all need to be heard. And I'm very proud that most people come and they say, I felt like I was heard. You didn't take everything I said, but you took some of it and you took into account and you tried to work with me. So uh, for me, I think that process and a citizenry that feels that its city council operates in that fashion, I'm immensely proud of. Who discusses many of the issues affecting San Mateo, including housing, transportation, and the city council rotation. October 23rd is the deadline, and uh, there is a written application to fill out, and um, then the city council will meet, and we will um, pare down the number of people uh, that will then come to do an interview slash presentation. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications. And is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com And also Highway Soul Productions. www.highwaysoul.com And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading this episode, and we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends out in podcast land. We definitely appreciate it. And so today we're going to continue our local coverage, and we're going to feature some of our Mayor on the Peninsula series. And today's mayor we're going to speak with is San Mateo Mayor Diane Pappin. So Patrick, you got to meet Diane. You've actually known her for a while. And uh, you went down there and you got to meet her at City Hall. So can you give us a little background about Diane and about uh, the interview? Well, First of all, Andre, this is great to be back on doing these interviews with the mayors. Um, this is our second Mayor Pappen that we've interviewed. We interviewed last year um, her sister, Gina Pappen of Millbrae. So it's a very unique situation. We've got two mayors on the peninsula. And, um, of course, Diana was not mayor this year. But uh, Diana Pappen is mayor this year in the city of San Mateo. She's had a busy schedule. She's on the Audit and Budget Committee. Um, she's on uh, transportation. Um, she's uh, an excited person. She also fit into her term expires, 12-20-20. Um, she got that fifth year uh, like some of the other council people when they realign the election to even years. Um, I'm not going to, I'm going to surprise you at the end. I want you to listen to it and you can find out if she's going to run again. Uh, she's got a lot of energy. We talked briefly um, about the current situation with the deputy mayor going ahead and resigning. They have a process in plan, which is on a website that so tells you if you live in the city of, of San Mateo and you fit into a certain criteria, you may have a chance to, to be on the city council for the remainder of the term of the deputy mayor, Maureen Frischette. 
Okay, so I just, maybe I pronounced the name wrong, but um, it, it was exciting. I had an opportunity to speak exclusively with Diane Pappen, and we talked about their general plan. We talked about housing. Um, we talked about density. We talked about accessory dwellings. We talked about transportation. Um, and we talked about the concerns that all the cities are having on the peninsula right now. Um, I, I'm excited that I had this opportunity. She's very enthusiastic. Um, she's definitely a dedicated public servant. And, and she also shares with me, she was born in Daly City and only raised there till I think the age of six or seven. And then she moved to Millbrae with her family. I had the opportunity to know her dad and um, and also spoke to how how he was a great guy, great assemblyman. And as you know, um, uh, Assemblyman Luke Pappen used to be in the FBI too. So he was an FBI agent at one time. And we talked a little bit about some of his nicknames. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy listening to Diana Pappen. It was an honor to interview her. And I look forward to hearing your feedback on Podcast by the Bay, otherwise known as Bay City Media Communication. Sounds good. Sounds good. And we definitely appreciate you, Patrick, for making the time to go out there to speak with uh, Mayor Diane Pappen and also to Mayor Diane Pappen. We definitely appreciate your time and for speaking with us here at Podcast by the Bay. And uh, I just want to kind of give an update, as Patrick mentioned, Bay City Communications. So we are that is our parent company now is Bay City Communications, and we're in the process of getting that all worked out. So you're going to hear a lot more about Bay City Communications Incorporation and uh, some of the work that we're going to be doing with that coming up. So with that, we're going to go ahead and uh, get to the Diane Pappen interview. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, as always, podcastbythebay.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay as our handle. So we're going to go ahead and get to the interview. So signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to a Podcast by the Bay. Today is Friday. Um, I think it's, what, the 18th? Well, I have the honor of interviewing uh, Diana Pappen. Uh, she's the mayor of the city of San Mateo. And um, I wanted to let you know this is my second Mayor Pappen that I've interviewed. I also interviewed Gina Pappen, and that was also in Millbrae, and that was about a year ago. So welcome, uh, Diana Pappen. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's nice to be here. You can call me Diane. All right, Diane. Thank you. <laughs> Diane is a uh, graduate from UCLA, and also she attended Hastings School of Law. She practices commercial litigation um, in, the, in the Bay Area? Yes, well, I'm going to bring it back a little bit. Did you grow up in Daly City? Uh, well, I grew up in Daly City until uh, seventh grade, and then we moved to Millbrae when I was in seventh grade. So well, I'm going to share a little bit with you. Um, I remember your dad when he came to my uh, my parents' house in Daly City when your your dad was an assemblyman. Uh, my father was very much honored by your dad. By he worked, my dad worked for the state of California in Caltrans, and he was an engineer. And your dad uh, created some kind of legislation because my dad had worked for 38 years in the uh, Caltrans, working on as an engineer with the 380 connection. So 
we, we go way back. Um, I can remember your dad. Um, you know, some of the nicknames of your dad. I'm, I'm only going to bring up one. Uh, only Leadfoot one? Lou. Leadfoot Lou. Uh, when, well, first of all, thank you to your father for his years of service. Well, I appreciate Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Yeah. So. Wow. So that's so that 380 connection. And it was huge. It it really made a difference in this in this area when 380 went in. I remember when 280 was built. Well, you know, it a fasc it fascinating thing with 280, did you know 280 was dedicated by Lyndon Johnson and that it was one of the first freeways in the United States that didn't have lights on it because it was more environmentally conscious, so. I knew it was built for high-speed driving. Did you know that? Well, I, it is, still is. Yeah, I mean, well, no, there's so much traffic these days, but as you, when you see the four lanes and how they're banked as they go down the peninsula, um, they're banked just for that reason, so they wow. could probably do higher speeds. But I didn't know it was dedicated by Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon That's a Johnson. good stat. Yes, yeah, very well, good stat. I'm a history nut, so I kind of have a little bit of craziness to me. Uh, oh. Diane, this is your uh, first term um, um, in the. Uh, it's your fifth. Oh, it will be your fifth year. You're termed out, or not termed out, but your term is ended in 2020. That's right. So. Okay, and and. Uh, you also fit under that program with the re the election, and you got that extra bonus year. So you got a bonus here. You're five years on the council. That's right. So we're a charter city, and once the governor put every city on even year elections because it's less expensive to do it that way, um, we put about we had to change it by ballot, and so we put a ballot initiative on, and we adopted um, the way we would do it was there would be a fifth year. For anybody elected, I forget what the time frame was, but in any event, as a result of that ballot measure being adopted, there's a fifth year to my term. Well, I know that that also spread across the, the county and everybody got that extra they year. They all did it different yeah. ways, too. Yeah. If you weren't a charter city, you could just adopt a, ballot, a, ca a council resolution and boom, you were changed. But we actually had to go to the voters for it. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. Um, one of the things that we wanted to talk about or address today is housing, and I, I and I know that the city of San Mateo, like all cities, is struggling with the housing issue. Uh, and I wanted to find out what developments. Uh, I know Bay Meadows. Maybe you want to talk to the audience a little bit about the Bay Meadows project, which is building some affordable housing, but I think it's affordable rentals. Yeah. So um, first of all, let's start with the, the 60,000 foot picture. As, as some of your listeners may know, we each city is assigned RENA numbers, Regional Housing Needs uh, Assessment. And so we have certain mandates by the state to build a certain amount of housing. And um, those mandates come out, what is it, every eight years? And so next year we will get an additional um, update to what our RENA requirements will be. But um, with that, let's talk a little bit about Bay Meadows. Bay Meadows added somewhere along the lines of 3,400 units, I think, to the uh, city of San Mateo. Um, some are market rate, and then um, I believe it's 10 to 15 percent are affordable housing within, within Bay Meadows. But part and parcel of the Bay Meadows development was that Wilson Meany, the developer, reserved an acre of land back to the city for an all affordable housing complex. So we're in the middle of building, we've already broken ground, and the city will retain ownership of the land, and we're working with um, Bridge Housing, and we um, will build 68 all below market rate units. 
in addition to what spread out market rate throughout the entire development, which was mandated of the developer, we have this additional plot of land. It's right well, next to the that's, kind of, that's very exciting um, uh, to hear. Now, uh, could you explain what you mean by all affordable? Um, is this going to be senior housing um, or subsidized housing? What type of housing would that 68 units? I've been kind of following and I'm kind of excited oh, about it. Yeah, so they'll be all below market rate. Uh, they will be, uh, most of them, I think, are one bedrooms. And they'll be, in order to qualify to rent, um, you have to uh, have about 70% of the median income in this area. Um, there might be some that might be a little higher, but uh, for the most part, most of the units will require that level of income. Um, I think there's one reserved, one unit reserved for veterans. Uh, but for the most part, it will be open to the public as long as they have those income requirements. And uh, you can be sure that we will have a waiting list very quickly if it hasn't opened yet. I can get you the particulars as to whether Does it. You know, I've, I've spent a little bit of time on the website with the city. They have uh, showing income. Is that the standard of the income that they need to have? Or is this separate from uh, from the affordable housing because or below market rent? Because... You have developments that you're developing which will have below market rent. Um, is that below market rent standard that you show on your website the same that would be for the affordable? Yes, affordable. That's same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, we do have our former redevelopment sites that have not broken ground yet, and they will they will have a mixture. They'll have some 70% of median income, but we tried to get a lot higher with more of the units to go to about 120% of median income. And you can go a maximum of 120% of medium area income and still be considered below market rate. And the reason why we did that is we really wanted to get towards workforce housing. We really wanted to hit somebody that might be a teacher that falls within the 120, they won't, they're not making as low as 70%, but they're a bit higher and we wanted to make sure we had some housing stock for teachers, young firefighters, our, our public safety, the, that sort of uh, potential tenant. Um, what, I had an opportunity to interview uh, the past mayor, Rick Bonilla, and I think one of the things that we talk about, each city is a little bit different on percentage of affordable housing. Uh, Foster City, as an example, uses 15% or 20% affordable housing per project. Has City of St. Mateo uh, addressed that issue, or are they still doing it pretty much project by project? So right now we're in the middle. We had one study session on it, and we have authorized an economic analysis. Y you can mandate higher below market percentage in each development, but you really have to ask yourself, is it going to pencil? And are we going to be able to get developers in here? Or is it just going to be the market rate gets all that much higher so you can subsidize, essentially, the below market rate that you mandate? So before we increase it, and we're looking at maybe 12%, um, but before we increase it, we're trying to be as prudent as possible and do an economic analysis. So that's being done right now, and we will see what comes of it. And the council will be taking that up because we are looking at raising it. We would love to raise it. We just got to make sure it's going to work. And we don't want to then just make, as I said, the market rate just go all that much higher. Then that, then we're eking out even more people from, from the housing market. And you can have that, it's sort of a detrimental effect. So we're trying to reach that sweet spot, you know. Well, I appreciate it. We, we have podcasts by the Bay or 
Bay Media Communication now officially Inc. Um, You're incorporated. Congratulations. We're, inc we're incorporated, so we're proud of that. Now we're trying to get our nonprofit status going. Great. Um, one of the things we had an opportunity to interview is Senator Weiner, and Senator Weiner, as you know, had two bills proposed. Um, one one was eight twenty seven, and I think the other one was Proposition sixty. Um, uh, SB fifty or SB SB fifty and SB sixty. I don't know what they and, and Anyway, they, what they were trying to do uh, is make mandatory requirements for cities to to build housing, kind of a kind of a stick and carrot approach. What's what's the uh, what's the feeling in the city on the the council and the community about the state mandated regulation of telling you how much housing you need to build? Yeah, well, the bill was such that it. it was trying to tell you where you should put the housing. You know, the arena numbers are going to really sort of mandate uh, quantity, but they were really trying to tell you where to put things. Our our council did um, issue a letter in opposition to SB 50 because we really felt that there is a reason why land use planning has been done at the local level for years and years by way of a general plan. And we can talk about our updating our general plan in a minute. but. Um, and that's because there are a lot of local nuances that one must take into account. And I, for the state to do it at one size fits all just doesn't make sense. In this county, Patrick, you may know that we are 68% open space. And then we have what I consider to be three bodies of water. You got the bay, you got the reservoir for most of the peninsula, and then you have the ocean. So it's tight quarters. And, and I was flabbergasted when SB 50 excluded Marin County. Like we talk about super commutes and people coming from Stockton, and I think Marin County to come from Marin County to the peninsula is less than a super commute, and yet they were excluded from this SB 50 and this idea of um, increasing heights and densities around what they would consider sort of opportunity zones, and that would be anything along transit and whatnot. So it, we, were, we had a couple reasons for opposing it. One is we're doing our general plan and we're paying attention to where we can fit perhaps some higher or denser or more housing, whatever iteration it looks like. Um, B, it was sort of a one-size-fits-all. C, we have the likes of Bay Meadows. We've really done a lot in the last five years. We either were built or have in the pipeline um, the number that we have built or have in the pipeline is equal to almost 11% of the housing units in our city. Well, I want to congratulate. Yeah, I want to congratulate the city of. Uh, so I don't know. You know, it seemed like if I may, Wiener's bill wasn't taking into account all that we've done, and I, I just that I had problems with that, and we all did. So. Well, I think most of the people that I interviewed, the 22 mayors last year, they all had the same problem with the bill itself. Uh, one of the things the governor has said uh, is is that we need 3.5 million in the state in the state in the housing. Um, one of the one of the big concerns I had when talking with the assembly people and the senators is we really don't know what type of housing we need, which means is we don't know how much senior housing or how much workforce housing that we need. Something that we need to keep in mind is that 60% of your people in San Mateo and Santa Clara County are senior citizens and they own their own homes. And they may be living in a home that's a five or six or seven bedroom home or stuff, and they're not moving. Uh, because there's not affordable housing. So the question could be interpreted, I think we need some proper data to really tell us, because currently what we're doing, at least in San Mateo and Santa Clara County, is building below market rent 
and rental units, high-end rentals. So we're not building housing to purchase. Has that thought process come through the council and said, well, why is this project not working with actually getting somebody into the process of home ownership? Well, and you, I like the way you backed into that. that people say we need $3.5 million. And what does that mean? Do we need to accommodate just workers? Um, in our city, we have worked the numbers, and we have discovered that for every 1.4 jobs, we've added one housing unit. So we don't have that jobs housing balance in our city. That's why when you hear those statewide numbers, I, I agree with you. What does that mean qualitatively? And what should we be doing? Do those seniors want to stay in their houses? I often wonder, or are there options for them to downsize but stay in the area where they are, or to live where the kids might live, up in Elk Grove, or, or whatever it may be. So uh, there's a lot of nuances that have to come into play that is not just where are we quantity-wise. And it's my understanding when the arena numbers come out next year, they're going to be looking at not just, hey, you got to build a bunch of housing, but rather, what are you going to do for the exact needs of your people, whether they're seniors, whether it's workforce, whether it needs to be below market. So it's my understanding when it comes, that number, um, it's going to be not only quantitative, but qualitative. So let's see. Um, I don't know that the data is there either, and I would concur with those legislators and you that we don't have that kind of data, and it's very important because you really want to make it work. Whatever you build, you got to make sure it works. Absolutely. Well, I, I congratulate you for, for bringing up that, uh, talking about the arena. That's an important issue to come out with those figures so we can be a little bit more accurate. Um, being in real estate for over 40 years, so I beat you a little bit in your oh, practice. Oh, you are young. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm hearing that same thing from seniors. Uh, when we develop new projects out here, uh, they may own a big house in Foster City or they may own one in San Mateo. If they sell their house, where are they going to go? Are they, they going to be buying something that's going to cost them more money or is it going to be an HOA? So most of the seniors um, are talking that same issue. Uh, they, they, so maybe it could be a taxation issue. What's the encouragement, even though we, if a, a married couple's 500000 uh, an individual's 250, if you have a $1.5 or $1.6 million house or a $2 million or $3 million house, you're not selling yeah. because you don't want to pay the taxes. So maybe there has to be some kind of incentive. And most of them don't want to move out of the Bay Area. Most of them don't. But of course, with that said, I did sell my brother's house in Pacific a year ago, and he moved with his wife, and they moved to Penn Valley. Did they really? Yeah, so they bought a house in the, in Penn Valley for like 350000 and sold their house in Pacifica for about a million. I see. So. And they owned it free and clear? Yeah, they owned it free and clear. So, so they, a lot of people are moving out. Um, you know, and, this, and are they happy with that move? Uh, they're happy. Now, you know, they are the... Uh, they don't have the ocean, but nonetheless. Well, the blessing is this. They looked for two years. Him and his wife decided between two cities only, Penn Valley and Paradise. They had chose... Penn Valley. So just just a flip of the switch, he could have been living with me because his house would have been burned down. So isn't that something? Isn't it? Isn't that ironic? Wow. Wow. Very interesting. Um, I, 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 not that there's a question pending, but I'm going to keep in the back of my mind what are the seniors' needs with how can we transition maybe out of the house but stay in the area. Yeah. I appreciate those comments. I think I think it's a tax question um, and, and a housing question at the same time. Uh, this dovetails into uh, something that you were starting to talk about, and I wanted to talk about it with you because it's still housing. 
state of California uh, has put legislation on the books about the uh, secondary dwelling about, I think, about two years ago. Um, and how is the city of San Mateo dealing with the accessory unit or the secondary unit? Um, a lot of cities right now are trying to work with the homeowners um, of people that had done it illegally, so to speak, or did it without the benefit of permits. Is that working well in the city of San Mateo for the secondary dwelling? Yeah, we, we are, mod I think we're modifying some of the uh, regulations that we had in effect. And I, as I recall, the state uh, said you don't need as much parking for the ADUs. So we, had, we adopted that or put that in our code as well. And we're really, and we've encountered people that have said, your regulations are so cumbersome as it relates to the ADUs. And I, one fellow in particular, I, he brought us to his house, said, I, this is what I'm trying to build for my mother. And I, she's not in a wheelchair now, but certainly she's not getting any younger. I want her to be here while my kids are growing up. But you folks have made it so difficult for me. And the city really, we have a great community development department, can't brag about them enough. Um, but they're very flexible, and when, when, I'm not saying when a code doesn't make sense, they're like, we're going to take a look at that code, and we're going to bring it before the city council. So we're working hard on modifying those. We, you know, you don't want a neighbor to become overparked, and there are certain things that you really have to look at, but um, it's a way of doing some infill, and um, I think every city's doing it, and we are no exception. Well, another thing, 30 years ago before I lived in Foster City, I lived in San Mateo. Um, I was also on the Personnel Commission, and I will tell you, it's, it's a, the city was very much a pleasure to work with, and they were always accommodating to work with the residents. So oh, it yeah. still seems that it is still Definitely. that same way. Yeah, really have a professional staff. I can't, you know, I go to, I serve on other uh, county-wide uh, commissions and whatnot, and Oftentimes, it's like, well, in San Mateo, they already applied for that grant, but everybody else can't. You know, the staff just seems to be um, very, very professional and very um, on it, you know, on the ball. One, um, recently in the newspaper, and uh, I haven't heard too many council people's comments, but maybe you, do, you have commented, and um, one of them was the gentrification of certain areas in the city of San Mateo. Um, I think it was North Shoreview or... North Central. North Central that they brought up... Um, how are we trying to address that with the community? Because the community feels, I think, that they're going to be building nothing but high-end rentals or that they, it's going to say, I, it's kind of like, why don't you put it in everybody's backyard? How do, how, do, how do we approach that? So that concern came up in the context of developing study areas for our general plan. Um, that's anyway the most recent time. I, I'm not saying that's the only time, but that's probably what you read about in the newspaper recently. And so we developed these various study areas and... Um, North Central in its entirety or most of it was put in a study area and most of the other ones were really sort of along the transit corridor and the reason why we had put North Central in the study area is because we wanted to really focus on infrastructure improvements not to upzone North Central and or spot zone or anything else but the neighborhood really was alarmed by being put in there. So we, uh, our last city council meeting a week and a half ago, we modified our study areas to be very clear. We took out anything that was an R1 because we weren't treating other R1s in the city that way. So we wanted to make sure that there was fairness. That it, And it somehow it got lost in the message because I know myself, I asked three times before we concluded the council meeting, now you're putting North Central in there. Not to up zone, not to spot zone, or any of those. Yes, that's correct. We want to do it because we want to make sure. They have a lot of um, flow issues and a lot of parking issues. And so we wanted to make sure, do we have 
hardscapes or whatever we can put in greenscapes to make sure that circulating within north central was improving that was really the focus but somehow that got lost in the message but the city again what i marvel at and in this i want to brag about the staff one more time is that they're they're able to be nimble and flexible uh, this city belongs to everybody and so because there was this feeling that we don't know why you put us in a study area it came back we're going to modify this because we don't want that misunderstanding so let's study these areas where i what i call it is low-hanging fruit where we really think we might be able to do some infill to meet those RENA requirements. So that's what we're doing now in the general plan. That's great. This kind of dovetails it. Maybe we talked about it over the 68 units. Is that 68 units that we were talking on the affordable housing? Is that the one near the train station? That one's in Bay Meadows. The former yeah. redevelopment sites are near the train station in downtown. Right. Yeah. We call them the old Kinko's site right, and right. the worker resource site is what I think, how they're referred to just for people that have been around a long time. Um, so one will be, uh, I think, 300 parking spaces, and then the other one will be, I forget the number of units, I wanna say 160-something, uh, maybe more uh, units. Again, same sort of formula. City will own the land, and um, then we will uh, have, we're just about coming on another study session about how we're gonna develop it. But we've already, we did an RFQ to qualify contractors to bid for it, then we did an RFP, and we received those proposals, and then we decided on the one. And so we're, they're almost coming, I think, to the, uh, not quite the permitting phase, but we're getting close. How many units right now are on the uh, block right now to be built in uh, Sandwich? Approximately. I'm not trying to hold you to a, an exact number. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Those numbers are bantered about, and I, I'm not going to go out on I I, I don't know. Okay. I, I I can get you the number. Okay. Sorry, people on the podcast. I don't know the exact number. That's all right. We won't hold it. You know, I wanted to go back a little bit to the Bay Meadows project because it was a phase that, that, that I wish more cities did. And that was, you had a phase out there in Bay Meadows that the people that bought places out there needed to do ride share or car Are you aware of that one uh, in Bay Meadows? There's a, there's a certain uh, development or portion out there that the people either have to do ride share or there's limited parking. Oh, I think the whole thing is subject to a TDM. Right. TDM, Traffic Demand Management, I think is what it's called. And they do monitor the trips. And they've been, I think, just spot on with what was required of them. Um, so that, you know, in other words, you do these traffic studies and you make sure that a development is not overburdening um, the roads around here. And I think they have stayed within their TDM. And there's a, a, an actual management that comes out and, and logs the number of trips, so it is monitored. Um, and I think they've been just fine. I think maybe they were at one time, maybe one trip over or something, but that's how close in the margins they are. So kudos to Bay Meadows. No, sure. that's exciting. Um, the next big uh, th uh, problem or challenge in the peninsula, challenge. challenge on the peninsula is transportation. Um, I've interviewed quite a few people, senators and assemblymen, mayors and stuff like that. One of the things that we, we don't have is we don't have a regional transit district or stuff, meaning your Caltrains, your BART, your SAM trams, they're all fighting for the same federal and state tax dollar. The only current thing that we really have that connects to any transportation is called the Clipper Cart. And I think the Clipper Cart's exciting. I, when I go into the city, I try to use the uh, public transportation and it, 
it's nice to be able to just take that clipper card out and boom, you're through. No brainer. Yeah, no brainer. So what do you feel that surrounding cities could do to improve the transportation? I know we passed a lot of legislation. We're improving 101 and we're improving 92. But we still have 70% to 80% of the people that are driving are single drivers. Yeah. Well, it's always tied to housing, too. So, you, you know, you got to... I, I know people are always like, you, Caltrain doesn't have that much capacity. How are we, you're going to build all this and then there's going to be no room on the trains for these people. But I, I'm not going there. I mean, I really feel like the, the, if we can improve the last mile, we can get people more on public transportation. So I think that's probably one of the, the issues that every city is dealing with. And now I just heard in Millbrae, the development there, they're going to take out 500 parking spaces. Now, how is that going to make BART more usable? I don't know. I don't have the answer there. But the seamlessness, I, I concur, could use some improvement. There's no question about it when you have you know, Caltrain operating, BART operating, um, and, and they are all vying for the same dollars. I, I don't dispute that. One of the things that really concerns me as, as Caltrain becomes electrified and the trains become longer is um, grade steps. You probably have heard about grade separations from the other mayors. And we're really worried, especially San Mateo, we have so many. What's that going to do to east-west traffic and the ability to move east-west? It's going to be very difficult. We are told that uh, once they're electrified and the trains are like 10 cars, we will have almost a half hour of downtime at the, at the commute hours mm. on the east-west corridors. Well, I'm going to encourage you, and you because I know everybody has limited time. We interviewed a former city council and mayor of the city of Woodside, Dave Tanner. Um, Dave Tanner, I'm, I'm, are you familiar with Dave? Uh, sure, sure. Okay. Doesn't he want like another bridge uh, from about 380 over the bay? Well, we got something a little interesting for you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Dave, I, and he, Dave, I think, is retired, so I don't... He moved to Grass Valley. Moved to Grass Valley, Valley, I think. Yes. Um, I know, yeah. His idea is out at the Tamfran Shopping Center, as you know, an Australian group bought the development um, a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago. What does he want? A bridge, a train, or ferries there? I can't remember. You well, tell me, it's, Patrick. It's, 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 it's kind of like a super bullet train, so okay, that it would go to all those... All the way to Stockton, right? Stockton and, mm -hmm. and Fresno, and every 28 minutes. Now, it, it sounds like... Um, a fantasy, but I think oh, it I could think be so. a reality. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think Feinstein has talked long and hard about uh, having another Transbay terminal of sorts. Is, is, does Dave think above ground or below ground? I can't remember. Um, I mean, is, underwater. Rather. Well, this is above ground, and I would encourage you to go on our website because we do have his video. Now, I, I will shall do that. I will tell you without mentioning names, some people think that they invented it before Dave Tanner, so I don't know who really invented this idea, but There's I think it's a great... for all of them, I'm yeah. sure. So. Yeah, no, I, I, well, Dave Tanner did a whole um, presentation about it to uh, the Council of Cities when we met one night, so all of the electives that were there um, got to hear about it. So it, it is not out of the ballpark, really, and you have to think out of the ballpark, do you not? Absolutely. I know Foster Absolutely. City's thinking long yeah. and hard about uh, water taxis or, or um, isn't it like a... They, call they, they call them the hydro hydro boats or whatever. Hydro yeah, boats. yeah, yeah, and they don't need a pier. Mm -hmm. So, and there's already, you know, in South City, uh, Genentech has its own, you know, ferries that come. Well, this this kind of goes back to the question that I asked you earlier, and and I think you kind of answered it, but in the answer, we don't really have a transit district. And what I think we need to do on the peninsula with talking, we can't let Sam Trams act independently. 
and we can't let BARC, BART act. And we got to intertwine this transportation issue. Um, a few years back, we had we an got the TA, but go ahead. Yeah, a few years back, we had an issue uh, with Sam Tram's reporting um, record wasn't accurate, or it seemed to be inaccurate, and, and it apparently appeared that it was. And I guess main, mainly funding from your state, your federal, and your county is based on ridership. Um, and I would encourage you. We had uh, an opportunity to interview. Uh, uh, the gentleman that um, I, the uh, gentleman that represents Bart Caltrain and stuff um, on our, our podcast, so you can take a look and listen to him sometime. And he he basically mentioned in his interview that the Sam Tramps was basically at a point right now that it was only designed for the disabled, the elderly, and stuff. But I noticed recently they have improved buses mm -hmm. and transportation. Bullet from Foster City, yeah. And the bullet from Foster Express, City. Express, not bullet, Express. Express, yeah. so. Yeah, I, I, um, I have some concerns about the BART board and their attention to San Mateo County. And we pay a king's ransom every year uh, because we weren't originally a part of having BART down here. And I, I, I have some serious reservations about how they treat the county. We had a great opportunity to interview your sister when she was mayor, and she talked about the BART situation and the lack of the train going in and out of the BART system only once or twice to the airport. And I think since then, because of the interview that we had or because of her voice out there, sure. she's got the message out that we need to use the uh, efficiency of the public transportation system, especially with the airport, too. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and taking away parking spaces. So now we pay a king's ransom to have it come you know, all the way down, at least as far south as to Millbrae. But how is the rest of the peninsula going to be able to use the train? And they don't all have to drive, but certainly a large number of people do. I don't think that's particularly responsible. No, I agree with you there. I agree with you. Um, uh, currently, you um, have a, uh, a city council or deputy mayor that uh, has, is leaving her position. Okay, and um, apparently, for whatever reason she's leaving, you're going to have to do a replacement. Well, first of all, we're really sorry to see that she wants to leave. Um, Maureen has been a tremendous uh, attribute to the council and to the city, and she was born and raised here, and um, she always operated from a place of what's best for the city. like. Truly, that was her divining principle. And best is a, a subjective term, but it wasn't what was good necessarily for her. She didn't operate that way. So I, I just want to applaud her on this podcast because she was really um, a, a delight to work with and to follow that model of keep in mind what's best for the city. So anyway, yes, we have now, we will have a vacancy. And I know that um, you on your website you have a process. Do you want to kind of give uh, the public uh, a plug that if somebody wants to run for city council, I know you've got a window period, and the window period is, is creeping up there. Yeah, so on the 23rd, I don't know when your podcast will be uh, edited, but you, October 23rd is the deadline, and uh, there is a written application to fill out, and um, then the city council will meet and we will um, pare down the number of people uh, that will then come to do an interview slash presentation. You know, before we finish our interview, I've got a couple more questions. Go for and, the, it. and the first thing is, is I want you to take a little opportunity now to reflect when you first started city council and what your ideas and goals were and what 
new things did you learn and what do you really did you accomplish not only for yourself personally but for the city so mine would the, the biggest thing for me that comes to mind and how a city functions is the process and so for me, I, I, as after I was elected, I was always like, well, do you lead or do you represent? You know, there's always that tension, Patrick. Do you lead or do you represent? So I toyed with it a lot over the years now that I've been on the council. And my feeling is that you represent and you try to build consensus, which means a little bit from here and a little bit from there. And then once you kind of get to that sweet spot and that consensus, you lead like hell. And that's really what I've tried to do. And I think one of the things that I am most proud of, and uh, I have people tell me regularly, is, and, and, is that I participate on a city council that really does listen. I mean, people come to a council meeting and they're like, I can't believe how long you guys sat there and listened. But we do and we take it very seriously. It is not about, let me push my agenda. This is a city of 100,000 people. There are very disparate points of view. They all need to be heard. And I'm very proud that most people come and they say, I felt like I was heard. You didn't take everything I said, but you took some of it. And you took into account and you tried to work with me. So uh, for me, I think that process and the citizenry that feels that its city council operates in that fashion, I'm immensely proud of. And I, I know I'm getting very passionate about it, but I really feel that's government firing on all cylinders. And I really feel like this city does that. I think our biggest challenge going forward is going to be the general plan because you really want to make sure you hear from everybody. And as I said, there are very disparate points of view as to how people want to see the city change, not change, change a little. And then you've got the state breathing down your neck with the arena numbers. That to me is, is the ultimate challenge of municipal government. You know, I came into this very aware of what a municipal government can do. And I feel that its decisions are very immediate, very immediate. Whether you've got a pothole or we know we have a $1 billion wastewater treatment plant we haven't talked about that we're in the middle of doing. And um, those are very immediate needs. And while we might get twisted about what's happening in D.C. right now and all of that, you're angry if you've got that pothole on your street. You know, and we hear about it. And, and that's why I, I love serving because I really feel like it's really tangible and you hear back from people when they're happy or not happy. <laughs> well I'm excited that you're saying that and I can feel your passion. I know I come from a city where it's a little more challenging and we'll just leave it at that. And um, in, in behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank you for taking your time um, uh, and your dedication as a thank public you. servant. Um, I just only had a couple more questions and Go maybe you would like to answer. Um, are you planning to rerun again? Yes. Excellent. Well, yes. congratulations on that, and, and and I think you're going to do a great, willing, a, a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I love it. I feel so honored to serve. I really do. Yeah. Uh, of all the things that you asked me along with practice law, 30 years, of all the things I've done, the different cases, you know, I've run a nonprofit, all these things, I feel I was meant to do that. It feels so natural to me, and I don't know why, but I, it has been an absolute thrill. Well, you know, this is the first time I've been able to actually sit down with you for <laughs> 30 minutes. Um, We've, Let's we've, do it more often. We'll do it more often. Um, <laughs> well, I appreciate that you do these podcasts by yeah. the bay. I think they're terrific. Yeah. Thanks again. Ciao.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. You can contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com and also Highway Soul Productions www.highwaysoul.com You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay as our handle or on Facebook facebook.com slash podcast by the bay and remember you can listen to any of our episodes anytime on any podcast site until next time stay tuned